All right, well, we are continuing on through the book of Isaiah. Um, we did most of the latter half of Isaiah this week. We're gonna finish up in this coming week with that book and then move into Jeremiah. And man, there, it's so rich. Like there's so much material from the prophet Isaiah. Um, halfway through the week, I'm just still kind of going, okay, Lord, like there's a lot of content. Where, where are we going? Where, where are we headed? What are you trying to say to my own heart? And so here's where we've landed. I'm gonna do a two-part mini-series Um, this Sunday and next Sunday. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter six through the lens of Isaiah. Paul actually draws from a lot of imagery in the book of Isaiah. Um, We see the breastplate mentioned and the belt mentioned and all of these different elements, they're in the book of Isaiah. And so if you're anything like me, things feel a little bit like a battle right now. Am I the only one that feels like they're in a battle? Um, Maybe it's not even a battle. Maybe I'm just getting run over. I I don't know. It just, it feels overwhelming. I I was thinking about this. You know, a lot of the language here in Ephesians 6, it's it's more of a defensive posture. Um, We'll read some of this together in just a minute. But there's kind of this defensive posture of just like, I'm just trying to hold my ground. I'm trying to stand in the midst of challenging evil times, difficult times. And I'm standing my ground, and I, I began to think, I remembered back to playing basketball in high school. You know, I'm, I'm one of the people that's hopefully optimistic. We'll watch some NBA in about a month. I, I don't know. We'll see if they pull that together. Um, but I can remember our coach would make us do this drill that purposely put us at a disadvantage where three guys would have the ball, they would be on offense, and they'd be coming down the court, and two guys were trying to stop them. And... Your posture mattered so much. How you stood mattered. If you were just kind of upright and not ready and back on your heels, man, you were just gonna get overpowered. They were gonna go right past you and score. And so you really had to adopt this posture that was like ready to meet them and ready to kind of adjust, right? And so I'm more on the balls of my feet and my knees are bent a little bit. I'm just, I'm in this ready position where, yes, they're coming at me, but I'm gonna go out and meet them. And I'm going to be ready to put up some resistance. And I know that's a silly picture of this, but listen, that's the idea here in this passage is that there are difficult times, difficult seasons. Paul writes in just a minute, he talks about the evil day. And and I believe to some degree, you know, every day on this earth, it's a world that's riddled with sin. and, And so there's evil around us all the time. But, you know, there's just those moments that especially feel like the evil day. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, today is that day. Um, The last few months have been that day. It's one long evil day. It It can feel that way. And so God gives us what we need to be able to withstand, to withstand in the evil day. That's what Paul talks about. Um, And I want to encourage you, it's, There's portions of scripture that are equipping us as the people of God to live in this world in which we live. And if you're like me, when we get to the portions of scripture that are giving us instructions, things to do, somehow in my mind, the parts of scripture that are are more heart-based, it's easy for me to recognize, like, I need God's presence for that. Right, to receive forgiveness. I I need the presence of God to help me receive his forgiveness. You know, to understand and appreciate God's love. But then when I get to the portions of scripture that seem practical, 
it's so easy for me to forget that God is right there with me, empowering me to do the practical stuff. Like his presence is an essential part of this. And, and last Sunday we were talking about the presence of God and that his presence, it, it's revealing, it helps us see truth, see reality. His presence purifies us and then it inspires us to go forth, to be who he's called us to be. And so I hope that as we're, we're looking at this together, and this is what I believe we're going to see through the prophet Isaiah, is that these tools that God has given us, they're not tools that we use on our own. This is actually a practical way to experience God's presence. If you've, if you've ever heard people talk about being in a relationship with God or experiencing the presence of God, and that sounds mysterious to you or difficult or something you can't really wrap your head around, like, it sounds nice, but I don't know how to do that. God meets us in very practical, tangible ways. And so my hope this morning is that as we see the equipment that he gives us to face the enemy and withstand in the evil day, that we would realize the equipment he's giving us is himself. He's giving us his presence with us, in us, for us. And so don't view this as a list of instructions to do on your own. Hear this as God's saying, I'm with you and I'm equipping you and we've got this together. Y'all got that? You with me? Yeah? Okay, so let's start in the book of Ephesians. Um, I want to read kind of the, the prelude to the armor of God. And so this is Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. See the language he's already using? Not strong in your own strength. Strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might, his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I just feel like we need to say that again and hear that again and be reminded of it over and over again. We are in a tumultuous season and there's a lot of wrestling going on on a lot of levels. And we need this reminder. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Like what we're facing right here that's real today, that's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, I shouldn't even begin to try to face that stuff by myself, ill-equipped in my own strength. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God. Notice the emphasis twice in this passage, the whole armor of God. We need every bit of what he has for us that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, to stand firm. So we're gonna look at the first three items listed in this armor this morning and then we'll look at the following three next Sunday, all right? So here we go. The first thing mentioned is in Ephesians 6, 14. Paul says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. A belt is so important. It, it holds everything together. It holds everything together. There's a, there's a safety element to it. There's a covering element to it. Um, it's the element that ties everything together. You know, if we were... Um, back in ancient times, it would literally be tying our, our robe and everything. It would kind of just pull it all together. It's like the anchor point. And so God says, let truth be your, be your belt. 
be what is your anchor point, what pulls everything together. It's truth. Now, listen, we could, we could do a whole Sunday talking about truth. We could talk about the truth of what I'm seeing and facing. There's an evil day in front of me. You know, Paul doesn't shy away from that. He doesn't say, hey, the sun is shining, the flowers are blooming, it's beautiful, you're cruising through a beautiful valley surrounded by amazing mountains, and you might occasionally just stumble across a little problem. And so wear some armor just in case. That, that is not the description he gives. This present evil darkness, this evil day, spiritual forces that are after you, we don't hide from that reality. That is part of truth, recognizing that we do face challenges. I think for many Christians, we've somehow developed the mentality that faith means minimizing the problems, pretending they're not there, pretending they're not real, they're not formidable. God doesn't call us to put our head in the sand or put blinders on and pretend like there aren't real problems to face. But he says you can be equipped with truth because there's more to the story than just that enemy you see right in front of you. Or maybe the enemy you don't even recognize that kind of came in and took you out from the side. Those unexpected things that hit you. That's part of the truth. And see, that moves into kind of the next territory is, is kind of our truth. Now, I, I hate the phrase, my truth. I'm not a fan of that. Um, but I think the heart behind it, there's some accuracy to it. And it's the idea of just my experience, what, what I've experienced, my perspective on things, what I'm going through. And man, that's real. It's real to us. What I'm facing, what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, the experience I have, those are real to me. But the reason I think it's wrong to call those my truth is it, it acts like it is, it's this fixed thing that is fully accurate and representative. Now, something might be very real to me and my experience, the, the emotions and feelings I have, they're real, but God comes alongside and he says, hey, listen, in the midst of what you're seeing and what you're facing, I'm not saying that's not real, I'm just saying maybe there's a perspective you don't have. Maybe you don't see the whole picture. And so look to me because I am the ultimate source of truth. I am the God who presides over reality. I'm the one who at my core, I am the truth. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so with your limited perspective and what you're going through and what you're struggling, you can be real about that. Don't pretend, don't hide, be real about it. But then come to me and recognize I have something to offer you. I have perspective to give. And so this is what Isaiah is talking about where he picks this up and and the Lord is speaking to his people and he says, this is in Isaiah 45, verses 18 through 20 and then verse 22. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. He is God. There's these little parentheticals in here with exclamation points. The one who created the heavens, he is God. The one who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. He made this earth for us. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offering of offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. He says, listen, listen. 
I might feel hidden. You might think that you're in the dark, but you're not. I'm the creator of this whole world. I spoke it into being, and I purposed you to be here in this moment today. I made this world for you to inhabit it. And when I tell you that you can seek me and find me and that I have things to speak into your life, I'm not messing with you. It's not some cruel joke where you're not going to be able to figure it out and you're just stuck on your own. I'm going to speak truth into your life. I'm here. I'm present. And so he says, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. I love that terminology. You survivors, the people that are holding on. All people of the earth, the people that are holding on, come to me. Listen, the survivors of the nations, it's this idea that we are surrounded by people who look to other gods, other ways, other solutions to navigate life. There are ideologies and principles that are of this world and they're not of God. And and they will not satisfy they cannot meet the true need that we have. And so he says, you survivors of the nations, you who've made it through all that noise and that garbage, move past that. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols. See past what your culture is telling you. See past what these blind guides would say to you and come to me. They keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. He says, listen, I am the truth. I'm God and I'm here for you and I have what you need. And all the other places you can go looking for truth, they're not going to save you. They're not going to save you. They are man-made and they will fall short, but I won't. I won't fall short. I'll speak truth into your life. I love you. Come to me and be saved. And because he is the truth and he speaks truth and he has the answer when there is no other answer, then because of that, then he can speak into my truth. He can speak into my reality. And that's what he's talking about in Isaiah 40. This whole chapter is incredible. It's it's a chapter instilling comfort in God's people as they're They're coming back from exile. And in the midst of that, we're going to read verses 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? He says, listen, there's this thing in us that looks at everything happening around us and goes, God, where are you? I don't see you. It doesn't look like you see me. You seem distant. You seem uncaring. You don't see my struggle. My my life's hidden from you. I'm just here on my own struggling by. You've disregarded my rights. Look what's happening to me. This isn't right. This isn't fair. His people, us as his people, we can have that perspective at times where we just don't get it. God, what is going on? Do you not see this? And we can feel alone. And listen, that's real to us. But he wants to come and speak truth in the midst of that darkness, to speak truth in the midst of us feeling alone and unseen. And so verse 28 says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth. And he does not grow faint or weary. And his understanding is unsearchable. He's not tired and he knows what needs to be done. And there's not a place on earth you can hide from his presence. He sees and he's there. He gives power to the faint. Now see, here's where the good news starts. Up to this point, we're just hearing about how great God is. Well, that's awesome for him, but I'm here. But he says, no, listen, I'm here and I'm present. And so this strength that I have, this wisdom that I have, I make it available to you. He gives power to the Christians who have it all figured out. Oh, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. The armor of God isn't about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and having it all together. The armor of God is going, God, I'm here and I'm naked and afraid or whatever that TV show is called. Like, I'm out here and I'm terrified. Help. I'm faint. I'm weak. I'm weary. I'm alone. And he draws near and he says, I have power for the faint. I will increase your strength when you have no might. He says, listen, even you youngins who are strong, Verse 30, that was my, my version, even you youngins who are strong. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Man, even the best of us just get worn down, exhausted, beat down. I've been shocked during the last few months how some of, sometimes the smallest challenge in a day can just feel like it zaps me. And I just know somehow I'm kind of running on empty, and I'm exhausted. He's saying, listen, that happens to the best of us. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Friends, when the fight seems overwhelming and I'm exhausted, the truth is he sees me, he's with me, and he is my strength. He has answers where I don't. He has strength where my reserves are low. When I'm and worn down, he can provide rest for my soul. That's the belt of truth. Recognizing my weakness and my need, recognizing the challenges of the day, but in the midst of all of that, seeing the larger, greater truth that my God is the creator of heaven and earth that he is ever-present, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, and that he is for me, and I can find him. I'm not alone. He's with me. And so this belt of truth that we put on, I love this. In Isaiah chapter 11, we read some of this during communion. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses one through five, there's this description of Jesus, and verse five says this about him. This, this is our God of truth. He puts on righteousness as a belt of his waist and faithfulness of his loins. That means he is good and I can count on him. So the truth that holds it all together for me is Jesus. He's my belt. He's my anchor. He's what holds it all together. And I can trust him because he is good and faithful. Because he is righteous and I can count on him to be consistent and steady he is my belt of truth. He is the way, the truth, and therefore I have life because he's my anchor. That's number one, truth. Breastplate of righteousness, it flows right into this because Jesus 
He's the one that has righteousness. We just read that description there in Isaiah 11, 5. So Ephesians 6, 14, the second half of that just simply says, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is like what protects everything in my core. The things that, that keep me going, my lungs, my heart, all the stuff that's so essential here. The core of who I am, it's protected by righteousness. Have, have you ever felt exhausted trying to protect yourself with your own righteousness? I need to be right, I need to be good, I gotta have this figured out, I, I need to be handling this situation the right way. And like us at our best, us at our most righteous, there's gonna be holes. And you better believe the enemy will find those holes and use them to his advantage to wound us. For many Christians, we've recognized the truth of who God is and we've taken him in and, and then we slip into this mentality of I've gotta be the righteous one now. I've gotta pull it together and live right and have the right things to say and the right responses in every situation and it's just an exhausting way to live to try to keep it all together. Isaiah 59 unpacks this need for righteousness. See, righteousness is needed. There are times where, where I feel the need for justice in my life. It feels like the things happening to me, at me, are unrighteous. They're unjust. And there are times where other people need to be protected from my unrighteousness. I think my kids experienced that once or twice this week when dad got a little too easily irritated with them. But God, God sees this need for righteousness on the earth. In Isaiah 59, verse 14, God assesses the situation. He says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares. Man, that is happening left and right right now. We're looking for justice. We're looking for righteousness. We can recognize maybe some places where it doesn't seem to be there. Man, you start moving into the territory, so what do we do about it? And it gets confusing real fast. And we're stumbling along trying to figure out what's right, what's true. Uprightness cannot enter. Verse 15, truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. It's risky to try to live in truth. The Lord saw it. Look at this. He sees the lack of justice and unrighteousness on the earth. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man. There was no one righteous. No, not one. And wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. That's why Jesus came. The only righteous one. And his righteousness upheld him. I love this. Verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. Don't you love that? Guys, I had never noticed that before. In all my times reading through scripture, I had never noticed that Isaiah talked about Jesus as the one wearing the breastplate of righteousness. He put it on. And newsflash, looking ahead to next week, and he's got a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. He's the one that's gonna bring justice. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. He's the one that puts on the breastplate of righteousness. He's the one that intends to right the wrongs. 
As long as we're trying to wear our own righteousness as protection, it will fail. But what we're able to do is we're able to set aside our striving for our own self-righteousness and just take that off. God, I'm tired, Lord, of striving on my own to be righteous, to be good. I just can't do it. And so I set that aside. That thing's full of holes anyways. Even at my best, I keep falling short. And so Jesus, would you apply to my life? Would you protect the core of who I am with your righteousness? God, if that means cleansing and purifying me in the midst of my unrighteousness, would you do it? Lord, when I'm getting hit with arrows of unrighteousness from others, when I feel wounded in my very heart because I've been mistreated, Lord, would you protect me? Would I trust that you're wearing the cloak of vengeance? Would I trust that you're filled with zeal to right the wrongs? And would I just hand my enemies over to you? God, I'm tired of striving on my own with this. I take on your breastplate of righteousness. Now, I want you to see what happens when we take on his righteousness. Look what it produces. And here's how we see a picture that it comes from him and not us. Isaiah 32, 15 through 18. Until the spirit is poured on us, upon us from on high. This is Old Testament past tense. We live in New Testament present tense. His spirit has been given. His spirit is available to every one of us. Until the spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. I want you to hear that. When we feel lost and alone in the wilderness, when we're struggling on our own, when his spirit comes upon us, it changes things. And the wilderness, it begins to turn into a fruitful field. Some seeds get sown. Some stuff begins to grow. And that fruitful field, it grows so much that people begin to look and go, man, that's like a forest where there was just devastation, isolation, desert. God has replaced that with this fruitful forest. Verse 16, then justice will dwell in the wilderness. And the result of right, or sorry, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. So when God's spirit comes, he brings justice and righteousness. And we get to enjoy its fruits. Verse 17, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. When God's righteousness shows up, it changes everything. It brings peace. It brings calm. It brings quiet. You know what I find interesting about this? We cry out for peace. I don't know that a lot of people are crying out to be more righteous. We want the effects of righteousness without realizing the peace is just a byproduct. The peace of God in my life is a byproduct of receiving his righteous offer to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and to put me in right standing with him. 
And when I recognize how much I need his righteousness because I fall short and I'm broken and I'm lost without him, when I realize that and his forgiveness comes rushing in and he shares his righteousness with me, he makes me clean in his sight, he brings me into right relationship with God, I'm left with peace. But listen, what he's describing here is something that now trickles out into the earth. And so what we're called to do as people of God is now to carry around his righteousness with us. To bring his righteousness into wilderness places where it is not present. I don't know if you've heard some of the the cries and the protests, but one of them is no justice, no They may not realize what they're saying, but it's biblical. Where there's no justice, where there's no righteousness, there can't be peace. Otherwise, we're taping some false thing together and pretending it's peaceful when it's not. Now, the issue is in our, in our world, we try to create what we think is righteousness. We come up with our own best ideas, and maybe some of them get close to, to who God is and what he's after. But church, we've got to take the lead on bringing righteousness into our world. This can be as simple as within your own home, and it can trickle down into our activity in the world around us and in our community. We need to start recognizing that, yes, peace is needed, but it starts right here. God, would you bring righteousness into my life? God, where I'm off, where I'm broken, where I'm not seeing it, would you change my heart, change my perspective? Will you... Will you guard me with your righteousness and may I be a carrier of it to a world in need so that peace can come? Isaiah picks up on this theme in Isaiah 42, verses six and seven. God's talking to his people and he says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. So this is for those of us who have taken on his righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. So first of all, really good news for us. I don't have to fight to maintain righteousness. He's with me right there. He's holding my hand and and he's keeping me going forward, walking with him. But where are we going? I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. He gives his righteousness to us. He holds our hand and he says, let's go. You don't get to just keep that at home with you. There's a world out there that needs light. There's a wilderness out there that needs some seeds sown into it so that justice and righteousness can grow and the people of the land can live in peace. And so we're gonna go be a light to the nations, verse seven, to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who who sit in darkness. Friends, this this leads to our next piece of armor. I'm gonna try to move through this quickly. But when, when we're anchored in truth and we've received the righteousness of God and he's now present with us moving into the world, what's the next piece of armor? Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness by the gospel of peace. If you're, you're a little more old school, having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. 
Anybody ever been in one of those old Christian bookstores that had like the Armor of God kit for kids? I grew up in a church that had its own little mini bookstore. And I can remember just, you know, the helmet and the shield and the whole deal. Your feet shod, just your feet ready, prepared to bring peace. Listen, this is, this is who Jesus is. He's the ultimate one who brings and carries peace. Isaiah 52, 6 and 7. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of Jesus that bring good news. Listen, when I think of feet, maybe there's a few people out there that think feet are beautiful. I don't. When I think of feet, I think of something kind of gross and dirty, smelly, right? Feet just, it doesn't evoke pleasant thoughts in my mind. Um, Just last weekend, I was barefoot and we were outside and having this little campfire kind of on our back patio area. And there's a part of our our yard that, that meets up to like this brick walkway and patio area. And so part of it, it's flat right up to the brick. And then just like a foot over this way, the brick goes up and it sticks up above. And so I'm carrying some wood over to the fire and I think I'm on the flat part and I hit the brick. And I mean, and then I hit the brick. <laughs> I was down. It was, it was bad. People were like, my family was there and they were all kind of gasping like, whoa, that looked really bad. And I'm immediately shouting sarcastically like, I'm okay, it's not a big deal. But my foot was hurting bad. I mean, it was nasty. It got cut open. Um, it was bruised really bad, like it looked horrible, did not look pretty. If you've ever injured your feet, like when you have to walk around the next few days, I mean, it's just the most miserable experience. I mean, I think in movies, like the thing that gives me the most pain, it's like that, that scene in one of the Home Alone movies where the bad guy steps on the nail, like just even saying it, did that just give you all like, did you feel it a little bit? Oh, it just bothers me so much. Feet. When they're, when they're hurt, when they're injured, man, it's just the worst. We need to consider the feet of him who brings good news. Consider his feet. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I have to say, most often when I think of Jesus being pierced on the cross, I think of his hands. But the feet that bring the good news of peace, they're feet that have been pierced on our behalf. His feet were wounded so our lameness could be healed. One of the passages in Isaiah, I'm not going to read it here, but it's, it's the voice crying in the wilderness, make the paths straight, level the ground, make a way for people to get to Jesus. His feet were pierced so we could receive peace. And he now calls us to be carriers of that message. What did Jesus do on the night that he was betrayed with his disciples? 
He got down on his hands and feet, or hands and knees, and he washed their feet. John 13, verse 12. And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, and he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus washes their feet so they could go be carriers of the gospel of peace. And they were told to pass it on, to wash the feet of others. Friends, when we've experienced the truth of Jesus in our lives and we've received his righteousness as our guard and we carry that out into the world, we are carriers of the gospel of peace. We get dirty along the way. Maybe we feel like I, I'm, I'm not clean enough to measure up. You know, Peter's response was, Jesus, wash me all over. And he said, I don't need to. You're already clean. Your feet are going to get a little dirty along the way. You're going to stumble. You're going to trip up. But I'll be there to wash your feet. And now you go and be a carrier. And guess what? If you're going to be a carrier of the gospel of peace, you got to be ready to get your hands dirty. Many of us, when we look at what's happening around our country, in our community, wherever it is, I think somehow we've got this expectation like the world needs to clean itself up. Like they need to get their act together. Like they should know what it is they're supposed to be doing. They don't have truth. And they don't have the righteousness of God. How could they experience peace? And guess what? They're going to be a little dirty. but we have received the truth of the gospel of Jesus. He loves us. He's our anchor. He holds us together. He's given us his righteousness, and now we have peace. And friends, we should expect that we are living in a dirty world that's in need of some cleaning. And so if I'm gonna be a carrier of this gospel, I've gotta be ready to get my hands dirty. I've gotta be ready to meet somebody at their lowest point. Am I willing to get my hands dirty in order to be a carrier of the gospel of peace? When I do that, I'm not alone. He's with me. He's in me. He goes forward with me to comfort people. All right, I am gonna read this passage and I'm closing with this. Isaiah 40, verse one. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly, to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. You know, Alex was talking about the battle being won. People don't know that the battle is won until we tell them. That's what Juneteenth was all about just a short while back. There were people who had been set free for years, but no one carried the message to them, so they were stuck. Christians should resonate with that. We've got something We've been set free. Let's first make sure we've received that. 
Let's enjoy the peace with God that we have. Let's stop striving to be righteous. He makes us righteous. Let's see the truth of God present with us in this world. And then, friends, let's comfort others with this truth. The victory is won. Their iniquity is pardoned. That she received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground should become level and the rough places a plain. How is God calling me to act in the world in such a way that it makes it possible for people to get to Jesus? Where can I fill in holes to lift others up? Where can I wash the feet of others to bring them into the presence of Jesus? To be a carrier of the gospel of peace. Friends, if we want to experience God's presence and withstand the evil day, let's look to Jesus. We're held together by the one who is truth. We're protected by his righteousness. And we carry the good news of his peace wherever we go. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you are our protector and our God. Lord, we acknowledge we live in a difficult time and season, an evil day. But Lord, would you remind us that in the midst of what is obvious to us, that you are present, you are our anchor, you are the truth that guides us. When we're weary and worn down, you're there. Lord, help us to, to lay aside our striving and to receive your righteousness. And may we enjoy the peace that that brings and may we be carriers of it to a world in need. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, friends, I love you. We'll see you soon. Friends watching online, we love you guys. You're in our prayers. We'll see you soon. Y'all have a great day.